Hey, Coffee Breakers. I'm AC. And I'm Scully. And we are here today to take a coffee break with you guys and do part two of Tiffany Valiente. Um, just want to give you a heads up. This podcast will contain some graphic discussions about suicide and pretty grisly details about um, a ca th this case. So please take care um, and listener discretion is advised. Um, before we get started, I would like to shout out to my favorite online boutique, um, violetandivyboutique.com. If you're looking for some good styles at good prices, check it out, violetandivyboutique.com. And also, they are not a sponsor of this podcast. I just really like it. And I, it's getting close to spring. Yeah. And, you know, their uh, prices are affordable. So check it out. All right. So, Scully, when we left off on the last episode, um, it was pretty much a... Um, recount of Tiffany's day yeah. on July 12th, 2015, up until she was hit by the train. Um, so for this episode, I would like to start off with what the family was doing during this time, just so we can get a complete picture. Okay. Um, so according to the Unsolved Mysteries documentary, My Mystery at Mile Marker 45, available on Netflix, Netflix is also not a sponsor. Uh, <laughs> once Diane and Steven came out of the home, just to refresh everybody's memory, there had been an argument between Diane and Tiffany. Diane is her mother, Steven is her father. Diane had went into the home to get Steven to address yeah. the issue. Um, they were gone for one minute. Yeah. And when they came back out, Tiffany was gone. So they started looking for her. Now, also to refresh your memory, there's a huge graduation party going on across the street for Tiffany's cousin who had just graduated from high school. Okay. Um, huge party, all day affair, people coming and going. Um, so first Tiffany and Diane go across the street to the party to see if she's there and they start asking around. Hey. Not Tiffany and Diane. Oh, I'm sorry, Diane and Steven. Diane and Steven, okay, mom and dad. Mom and dad, okay. I'm so sorry. Um, went across the street to find Tiffany. Okay. Um, maybe thinking that maybe she just walked back across the street from the party to yeah. the party. So they go across the street, can't find her. They start talking to people. Nobody's seen her. Yeah. So they start calling her friends and Tiffany and family. So they called her older sisters and they come over and help look. Now I don't know the span of time. Okay. Um, that, that took before they started getting like where'd she go where'd she go you yeah. know that kind of thing um so and the family didn't think that she would walk far because of the necrophobia like the the extreme fear of dark that she has mm -hmm. that was very well known from her family friends and even her teachers and coaches knew about it so this was not like a secret phobia that she had this okay. was something that was well known well established well known well established okay. so they didn't think that she would have gone far. Um, so according to the documentary on Netflix, someone called Tiffany's uncle, whose name is Michael, it goes by Mickey, okay, okay um, who lived across the street, his house where the party's going on at, um, and he started to ride around looking for her. Again, I don't know what time, okay? okay? 
So he went to Tiffany's grandmother's house, which was about a half a mile away, to see if she went there. She was not there. Okay. So while Tiffany's uncle was riding around looking for Tiffany, um, Tiffany's mother, Diane, and Father Stephen continued to search for her um, around the house and around the neighborhood. Um, her father found her cell phone lying on, in the brush is how it's described. Okay. Next to the driveway. And this is reported to be around 11 p.m., but there's not an exact time. Okay. So, and this is important to me, um, and you'll find out why as we go on. Um, at this point, though, it's around 11.30. Stephen and Diane are, when they find her cell phone, because Tiffany is very attached to her cell phone. Yeah, we saw that from the from all the social media yeah. posts and only the one social media site. So there's no telling what was on the other ones, like how much she yeah. was posting. She was constantly on that phone. Um, I mean, typical teenager. Oh, God, yeah. Typical 18-year-old, mm -hmm. period, boy or girl. Oh, yeah. Um, so from that point, they're really concerned because she even had, like, a special waterproof case so she could, like, take it into the shower with her. Oh, wow. So really attached to the phone. Um, and so around 11.30, they call the police to report her missing when they find that phone. Okay. Um, that's when the alarm bells started going off, like something's not right. She would definitely not be out walking around without her phone. What's the time from like when mom came out? Do, do we know that? So mom, out of the house? Yeah, like when mom and dad came out of the house to, to have the conversation with her and she was gone. What time was that? That was at 9.29. Okay. And then they found it around 11 o'clock. Okay. Um, I think it's closer to 11.30. Okay. Um, I don't have an exact time. I think it's closer to 11.30, and I'll explain why. Okay. Um, but around 11.30 is when they actually call law enforcement to report her missing. Okay. Um, okay. So the incident report from the Township of Hamilton Police Report that was done about Tiffany's missing person um, reported that the reporting officer went to the family's home at 23 minutes after midnight due to a missing person. So, you know, when you call in, sometimes it takes a few minutes to get an officer dispatched if it's not a dire emergency. Yeah. So that's why I say around 1130, so almost an hour. Okay. <clears throat> so... The officer reports that he was met by a group of family members and spoke with m the missing person's mother, Diane Valente. Diane stated that Tiffany walked away from the residence at around 9.30 p.m., which is accurate. Diane told the officer that Tiffany left the residence after getting into a verbal argument with her regarding someone that Diane referred to as her friend, as Tiffany's friend. Okay. Um, the officer noted in the report that Diane was hesitant and did not give any information about the friend whatsoever to the officer. Okay. Diane stated that she went inside the residence to get her husband, and when she came out, Tiffany was gone. Diane informed the officer of what Tiffany was wearing and what she looked like, which again was six foot two, um, dark-haired female, approximately 200 pounds. She was wearing a black t-shirt with the word Huff written on the front, light-colored denim blue jeans, shorts, Sorry, blue jean shorts. Um, white shoes, white headband. Diane told the officer she was unsure where Tiffany would have headed. 
Um, the officer was advised that a family member had found Tiffany's phone in the woods along the roadway. So I don't, so this is another point of contention for me um, because where was this phone found? Was it found near the driveway? Was it found on the opposite side of the road? Yeah. It could have huge implications. Yeah. So, but we'll get more into that in the, in my opinion, section of this podcast. Um, so, um, the family member wasn't, or they were not able to provide the location of where the phone was found to the officer. And I don't know if that was because everybody is panicking, everybody's upset. So in that moment, they just couldn't remember or if it was a more of a, he didn't talk to the right people, like the right. I wonder if they just gave like a general, like it was over there, but not like a specific Specific location as well. And you know how incident reports go. So (laughs) they very well may have said, (laughs) they might've said right here. Yeah. Uh, you know, no no offense, no offense, but I'm just saying, um, So this report is different from the Unsolved Mysteries. In the documentary, it was reported that her father found it near the driveway. So not off the roadway. It's different. Is that, because I know we talked about in the previous that they caught her on a deer camera mm-hmm. walking. Is Was it that way? Like I don't. We don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Um, and. This point bothers me a little bit because the location of the phone could mean a lot, like I said uh, just a few minutes ago. If it was in the driveway or off the side of the driveway, she could have dropped it herself. Yeah. You know, um, but if it was around the end of the driveway, like maybe she got into a car, it could have fell out of her pocket. You know, because yeah. I have had that happen to me numerous times where I have my phone in my blue jean pocket and I go to get into the car and it clatters. Yeah. Um, but if it was across the street from the driveway, then maybe it was chunked out of a window. Yeah. Or dropped back off. Yeah. Because it's hard for me to think that all these people are walking around looking for her and it takes them until 11 to find that phone. Especially if people are calling it constantly and yeah. blowing it up. I just. I'm with you. You know. Um, and. And we don't know an exact time of when the phone was found. Was it slightly before 11? Was it right at 11? Was it 11.15? Yeah. And this is important when it comes to timeline as well. I think, was it 11.30 when they found the phone and then they immediately called the law enforcement? That's what I think, because I feel like they were like, uh, something ain't right. Yeah. She would not not have her phone. <laughs> right. And that's what's kind of depicted on the Unsolved Mysteries. Um, documentary is like as soon as they found the phone they're like oh no 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 something's yeah. bad wrong and then they called the police that would be that's what I think happened I mean uh, we don't know but I don't know but in my opinion they found it closer to 11:30, and if that's the case then that opens a whole world of possibilities that again we'll get into in the in my opinion section okay. <laughs> um, so um, I'm going to go back to the report here for a second. The reporting officer told Diane that if Tiffany did come home, that Diane was to call the township of Hamilton Police Department. Um, The reporting officer reported that on his way back to headquarters, um, he checked Lopez Avenue, Lopez Sandwash, and an area around Hamilton Hamilton Mall 
but was unable to locate Tiffany. So it sounds like hotspots maybe for teenagers. Right. You just kind of went looking for that general description. Right. I think so too. But again, he's riding around looking. He never sees her walking. Yeah. So not to the house, not from the house. Yeah. So just throwing that out there. Um, so the reporting officer entered Tiffany into NCIC at 1.22 a.m. Okay. So for those who may not know what NCIC is, it stands for the National Crime Information Center. And this is a database that allows criminal justice agencies to enter or search for information about stolen property, missing or wanted persons, and domestic violence protection orders. It also has criminal histories and access to the National Sex Offender Registry. And basically just means if they if some other officer stopped her and ran her name, it's going to pop up that she's a missing person. Right. So that they know. Right. So uncle was riding around and as he was driving around trying to find her, he took Paloma Road, um, which is a few miles away. Um, and it came across it comes across the railroad tracks. OK, yeah. um, he saw an access road for transit. Yeah. Um, people and it was lit up with emergency lights. Yeah, I think you told us that in the last one. In the last one, yeah. Okay, well, I'm gonna go back over it. Okay, so um, he asked a transit police officer if he had seen Tiffany. Mm -hmm. um, the transit officer told him no, but someone was hit by the train. Um, the transit officer inquired about what Tiffany looked like, and the transit officer reported that it was a tentative match, the person that got hit for Tiffany. Um, the transit off police officer asked Mr. Valente if he could identify Tiffany. Mm. The uncle reported that he could. So the transit officer drove him to the location of Tiffany's body and he identified Tiffany. And this was around 2.30 a.m. So couldn't even imagine. No. It makes me very sad to think about. Okay. So now we're going to go back to the New Jersey Transit Police Report, okay? Um, the report was written on 7-13-2015, which was the day after. Yeah. Um, the report was written by Sergeant 0369. His name is redacted, so I have no idea, but we're calling him 0369. Okay. Um, and they reported that on Sunday, 7-12-2015, at 10-39, Triple C, Triple C for the New Jersey Transit is like their dispatch. Okay. Okay. Notified them that New Jersey Transit train number 4692 headed from Atlantic City to Philadelphia was disabled south of Panama Road crossing the Galloway Township with about 102 passengers on board. Okay. Train number 4692 was awaiting the arrival of New Jersey Transit transit train 4693 which okay. was scheduled to take the stranded passengers back to the Atlantic City term rail terminal six 4693 is the train that hit Tiffany okay so this was an unscheduled rescue train okay okay um, sergeant 0369 responded to Galloway to assist in the transfer of the passengers to 4693 Sergeant 0369 arrived on scene to 4692 at 10.55, and he checked on the welfare of the passengers. Okay. The conductor reported to 0369 that train 
number 4693's crew was reporting that they had struck a person near the Tilton Avenue Bridge Mile Marker 44. Okay. Sergeant 03689, excuse me. Yeah. Immediately requested that Triple C, which is their dispatch, uh, notify local EMS and police officer Packer to respond to the location. So police officer Packer is New Jersey Transit Police. So he's going, so the sergeant is with the disabled train and their passengers, and he just ordered someone to go to the train that hit Tiffany. Yeah, and he heads out too. Okay. So Sergeant 0369 headed north along the tracks, meeting 4693's crew at mile marker 45, which is 1.5 miles west of Denoa Avenue crossing. So from what I can understand, it's 1.5 miles from the intersection. Okay. Crossing Genoa Avenue. Okay. Um, um, he approached the head of the train and he was met by engineer number 39500 and the engineer stated that they, the train had struck a female about a mile back. Oh wow. Yeah. He stated that the conductor 436180 was along the track area attempting to find the victim. Mm. Oh, yeah. Sergeant 0369 began looking for the victim with the crew upon coming upon Tiffany's body and observing the nature and extent of the injuries to the victim. Sergeant 0369 notified Triple C to cancel EMS and notify Galloway Police and the medical examiner's office. At 11.22 p.m., Sergeant 0369 established a command post at mile marker 44.8 and requested additional law enforcement from Camden to assist on the scene. Galloway police had several units arrive on scene at 11.30 p.m. Sergeant 0369 assigned two Galloway police department units to assist with the passengers on board 4692. At 11.48 p.m., Galloway police department reported that no one was in need of medical attention. So there was passengers on the train that hit Tiffany? Yes. Approximately, oh, wow. I think, 56. Oh, wow. Yeah. A nurse practitioner, the name was redacted, arrived on scene at 11.52 p.m. and made the pronouncement of death at midnight. Medical examiner transport arrived on scene at 11.39 a.m. and medical examiner, name redacted, arrived on scene along with detective, the name was redacted, at 12.47 a.m. Okay. At 1.35 a.m., Sergeant 0369 was informed that Michael Valente was looking for his niece and that she had been entered into NCIC missing earlier that evening from her home in Mays Landing, located several miles from the current location. Valente offered a description which was a tentative match for the female victim struck by the train. Valiente advised us earlier in the evening his niece had an argument with the family member and left the family gathering. At 2.41 a.m., Lieutenant and P.O. police officer, along with Valente, left the scene to inform the next of kin. At 2.45 a.m., the medical examiner took possession of the victim's remains and cleared the track area. At 3.03 a.m., detective completed processing the scene and the train traffic was cleared to reopen and the com command post was closed. So at 
3 a.m. is when they opened the train track back up for travel. So she was hit around 10 something? She was hit around 11 something, between 11 or 7 and 11 16 okay. are the different times that I've found. Okay. Um, at 3.20 a.m., Sergeant 0369 arrived at Tiffany's home. He noted that Hamilton Township Mays Landing had several PD units on scene, and at 4.13 a.m., all New Jersey Transit Police were cleared from the family. Um, so with that being said, in the report, it also says that no one spoke to her mother and father or the family members that night due to their emotional state. So like to question them? To question whatsoever. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. So Unsolved Mysteries reported that Tiffany's family members, not her mother or father, but her uncles, went to the impact site the next morning when the sun came up. And they found various items to include a bracelet and pieces of Tiffany, mm. which is just so extremely upsetting to yeah. me. I'm not going to go into graphic detail about what they found as far as her body was concerned, but it pretty bad. So... On 7-14-2015, an external examination was conducted by Dr. Dashaka Sean, who was designed, uh, the designated medical examiner. So this is about 36 hours after her death. But I do want to mention that she was first, the paper next morning had written an article announcing the death and that it was a suicide. Okay, so the family was upset that they had ruled it a suicide because initially they thought that maybe she got hit at a crossing. Like, they were not even aware that she got hit so far down the track. Okay. So, um, with that being said, on 7-14-2015, the medical examiner conducted the autopsy. And I use quotation because it wasn't an autopsy the way that we think it's an autopsy. It was what they call a external examination okay. okay so and i am going to go into i'm going to read the report the autopsy report so just to let our listeners know if you don't want to hear this part it's completely understandable that you don't um fast forward about a minute okay so this was conducted by i think i've already said his, his name so i'm not going to try to do that again <laughs> okay so the final pathological diagnosis was extensive crushing injuries covering the entire body. Multiple organs recovered from the scene and collected in separate bags. Mm. Fractures of all extremities and am amputation of all extremities. Oh, wow. Okay. So I will say that on the um, autopsy report, it says that there was no clothing or personal property. Although it was reported that she had had her sports bra and underwear on at the time the train located her. So, okay. and but her, it's saying like all that was ripped off? Um, I don't know if it was all ripped off or if it was removed by medical personnel. Gotcha. Um, now, her shirt was located and um, it had received some damage and, you know, cut up, blood, all that. 
Um, one thing that they have never found is her shorts. And we'll get into that a little bit later. So she had her shirt on? Um, eh, I don't know. Okay. Because that's weird that it's like cut up but not obliterated. But you're saying that her other stuff was not recovered. Like her bra and panties, correct? They were recovered. They were on her body when she was found. Okay, I thought it just said it wasn't. No, the clothing and personal property inventory is listed as none on this. Gotcha, so, okay. But according to what was found at the scene, they found her shirt, the Huff shirt, mm -hmm. her underwear, and sports bra was still on her body. Okay. Okay? Um, so the assumption is that the shirt got ripped off. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. I, I don't know. Her shorts were never recovered. To this yeah. day, they've never recovered. And they were denim shorts. And denim is much more pliable and stronger material than, let's say, a sports bra yeah. or a pair of panties. Yeah. So how the shorts got completely dis like di disappeared, not a shred of them anywhere, yeah. I don't know. I did see one theory that stated that maybe they just got hooked onto the train and just rode that train. But I don't, I don't know. No. So anyway, going back into the external examination, um, the body is that of a well-developed, well-nourished, white-skinned female who has extensive crushing injuries due to being struck by a train. Exact height cannot be accurately evaluated as the body is crushed in, in, in pieces. Mm. The body weight is approximately 180 to 200 pounds. The brain is lost. It extruded from the cranial cavity. There's a large wound in the back of the head. A portion of the hair is attached, which is black and covered with soft, mushy, pink-white brain tissue. There are extensive injuries to the face. The face is completely crushed. The left ear is partially cut off and there are extensive injuries on the back of the head. Height is reported to be 6'3". On Oak Crest High School website, she is a volleyball player, but because of the extensive injuries of the body, her height cannot be evaluated at this point. The body torso is approximately 5'6 only. The lower extremities are cut off and separated from the body with extensive crushing injuries of the lower abdomen. Portion of the internal organs also exploded from the body and found on scene. Also, the lower extremity, left foot, is crushed with the bone sticking out from the crushed left foot. The right leg also shows extensive injuries, cutting injuries, and is also cut from the body at the hip joint. The right forearm is cut off at the upper arm and separated from the body. The abdominal cavity's internal organs erupted from the body because of the crushing injuries to the chest and abdomen. There are excessive injuries noted in the abdomen and chest area. The eyes cannot be evaluated. The face is completely crushed. Extensive injuries are noted in the face and the neck area. Also sent in a container is a portion of all other organs which are in fragmented and in pieces. A portion of the liver is also sent separately and a portion of the kidney can also be identified. Cause of death is multiple traumatic injuries. Manner of death is suicide. Jeez. Gross, right? <laughs> um, so 
with that being said, I also want to say that they ran a toxicology report and everything came back negative. She had no substances or alcohol in her system. Okay. Um, no rape kit was done. So I'm just going to throw this out there to all the MEs that might be listening or one day listening to this. If there's a body found in Justice's underwear, regardless, do that rape kit. Could they, though? I don't know. I don't know, but if yeah. it's possible. Because he, he talked about that lower half being crushed, so I don't even know that it would have been a possibility. I don't know if it would have been a possibility or not, but if it's possible, do that. Yeah. Just if it's possible. and But it doesn't make notation in the report that it's not possible. Yeah. So uh, to me, it's concerning, you know. Um, all right. So... Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, it just it gets to me every time. So, according to multiple sources, there were some things that caused some pause at the scene of where she was struck. First of all, Tiffany was only in her sports bra and underwear when she was found. Her shirt was found near the scene. Her shoes, headband, and shorts were not at the scene. See, that's the part that's weird. Her shirt's bloody, but there's no way that she had that on. Or it was ripped up. It doesn't give me a description. It just says it was found at the scene. Okay. So it could very well have been ripped up. I don't know. Yeah, okay. Um, and there was what appeared to be a large pool of dried blood on the track near the impact site. So where she was hit. And see, that doesn't make sense. Right, unless she was injured before. Yeah. Um, I will say um, this was never tested. This was never taken samples of. The blood pool was The blood pool was not tested, was not taken samples of. So we have no idea if it was even related to this. It's highly coincidental if it's not. Yeah. Um, also, um, an ax was collected. So this ax has been lost at this point, okay? Um, however, it was reported by a person who worked with the New Jersey Transit that this axe belonged to the New Jersey Transit and was used to aid them in clearing the track that night. I don't know the validity of that. I just saw it reported, so I wanted to report. But, um, yeah. So, don't know if the axe, you know, was New Jersey Transit. Don't know. It's lost. It's gone. Mm. Wow. Um, so on 7-16-2015, a K-9 unit was contacted to perform a track of Tiffany's scent. The K-9 unit police officer reported in his report that the director of the Atlantic County K-9 Academy by the name of Joe Nick, along with New Jersey Transit Police Detective, were requesting the use of the K-9 officer's partner, Luke, um, for a 100-hour-plus-old track for investigation purposes only. So they did investigate it then. They didn't just go straight suicide. Well, the medical examiner ruled it a suicide. So why are they calling I the dog? I don't know. I guess to verify. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like an investigation. Somewhat. Yeah. Yeah, somewhat of an investigation. Um, the purpose of the canine track by Luke, who is a bloodhound, and they are the bestest of best canine mm -hmm. dogs from what I can understand, um, was to attempt to ascertain the direction of travel for Tiffany, as well as they wanted to eliminate or confirm if there was a possible vehicle pickup along her travels. Okay. Okay. 
So on 7-17-2015, the K-9 unit met with the Valente family at 7.30 a.m. at their home address. The K-9 unit was told that Tiffany's uncle lived across the street and was a state trooper. K-9 unit was given a scent article which was obtained by the uncle and was an unwashed pair of shorts, okay, to obtain Tiffany's scent. The scent article was reported to be non-contaminated. The K-9 unit told everyone that, that, that he did not want to know the location of where the incident took place in order to track blind. K-9 officer released Luke from his patrol vehicle and placed his tracking harness on. He brought Luke to all the people on the scene so he was able to sniff everyone and eliminate them from the track. The canine officer took Luke about 50 feet down the street from the place last seen to start the track. They placed a scent article to Luke's nose and after several deep breaths, canine officer gave the order to track. Luke casted around the street attempting to find the scent. Luke casted to the driveway that where the victim was last seen. Um, he went up the driveway around 10 feet. When Luke located the scent, he turned and pulled hard down the driveway back to the street and made a right. Luke pulled hard with his nose to the ground down Maham Avenue, and that's the avenue that Tiffany lived on. Okay. Manaheim. I'm is sorry. Is he going the right way? What do you mean? Like, is we he, don't know what the right way is. Is he going to where the point of impact was? I mean, that's where he ends up. Okay. But I was going to finish reading the report. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> he turned, is he turning to go towards that area? Yeah, but we didn't know that at the time. Okay. So, uh, yes, you're, you're right. Um, to, and there's several different ways to get to this place. Well, I'm sure. Place. Most, yeah. Um, to Dorcia Avenue. At the intersection, Luke casted around all corners and then pulled hard down Dorcia Avenue towards Tilton Road. Okay. Um, Luke continued pulling, checking, and eliminating all driveways. Luke would go approximately 15 feet down the driveway, cast around, and return to the road, indicating that the scent did not go down the driveways, but continued down Dorcia Avenue. We continue trailing to Tilton Road. Luke casted up and down the wood line on the southbound lane approximately 25 feet and returned both times to the intersection. We trailed across the street. Luke casted up and down the northbound wood line and picked up the scent and pulled down a concrete path leading to Wrangleboro Road. At the end of the path, there was a retention pond. Luke casted around the retention pond, indicating a strong scent pool in the area. Okay. Luke started to cross the street to the airport and fence line, then turned and started pulling hard down the wood line along Wrangleberry Road, Wrangleboro Road, heading towards South Genoa. As we came up to South Genoa, Luke turned and trailed down Genoa, pulling even harder with his nose still to the ground, indicating that he was on scent. We trailed down Genoa to the intersection of Aloe Street. Luke casted all intersections and located the scent along the wood line continuing down Genoa Avenue. We trailed to the railroad tracks where Luke took a sharp turn heading toward the tracks westbound. Luke started to pull even harder with his rear paws dug in and his tail leaning to the right. These are indications that the scent is getting stronger. We trailed down 
the tracks for approximately one mile to a switch in the tracks that went left. At the switch was a large open area. Luke cast around the area and down the left tracks. He returned to the switch and continued to pull west down the tracks towards Tilton Road overpass. Approximately 25 yards past the switch, Luke stopped, casted himself around, and returned to the area of the switch. It was at this location that Luke circled around and returned to my side with a stand-stay indicating that the scent was lost or strongest at this location. The trail was approximately 3.2 miles long from start to finish and it took one hour and 10 minutes to complete. Officer goes back um, and then explained his track. So it led to where she got hit? Yep, it led to the impact site or close to the impact site, not the exact impact yeah. site, but close. Well, I think it would be difficult just given. Yeah. So this indicates that Tiffany took this path to the track. Um, now being who I am, <laughs> I reached out to a local, local K-9 unit police officer and asked many different things. One thing what, that was stated in the civil complaint filed by the family's attorney was that there had, in between the time Tiffany was hit and the track was conducted, there was heavy rainstorms in the area. I asked local law enforcement um, how this could affect the scent or the track. Local LE reported that it could wash the scent, which from what I can understand is a heavy rain or windstorm can dilute the scent mm -hmm. and disperse it mm -hmm. um, throughout different areas. So it's uncertain if this is an accurate trail. Um, however, LE did tell me that the scent is typically lost once someone enters a vehicle, but according to arcvalley.org, um, Humane Society, a bloodhound um, can smell people over 12 miles away. Jeez. So in theory, Luke could have smelled the impact site, which was 3.2 miles away, and followed the scent um, particles or pockets that are deposited through water and okay. wind that had been carried by the rain but this is just the theory. It might not be accurate, it could be 100% accurate. I don't know how to verify it. Um, so, Tiffany was cremated about three to four days after she died. Um, I am unsure of who or why this decision was made. Um, the Unsolved Mysteries episode seems to suggest that Michael Valente, the uncle, is the one that oversaw or suggested the cremation just because of the the condition of the body. Yeah. Um, so I. So this is probably something that the um, family struggles with to this day because the, no, there's no evidence that can be ascertained again, you know, from the body. Well, I mean, there's no DNA, like none of that. So. Uh, um, but from what I can understand, and from what the Unsolved Mysteries episode depicts, is that Miss Diane reported that after Tiffany's death, she would walk around trying to clear her mind, but also trying to figure out why. Yeah. Um, from what I can understand, um, the family originally accepted that this was a suicide. Um, but it was on one of these walks, 
um, down Tilton Road on August the 3rd, 2015, which was 21 days later, that Miss Valente came upon Tiffany's shoes off the side of the road next to a tree. And is you said there was very different way, like various different ways to get to the same yes. location. Mm -hmm. Was this a various way to yes. get to the same location? Yeah. Okay. Um, this went around farther. Okay. Um, but yes, this was another way to that location. Miss um, Valente reported that she fell to her knees, and when she did, she saw Tiffany's headband laying about six feet away. Um, she called her husband, who called the New Jersey Transit Police. New Jersey Transit Police came to the location and took pictures of the shoes. The shoes were side by side. That was going to be my next question. Were they like neatly placed? Kind of. They were about six inches apart. Okay. Um, left shoe where left shoe should be, right shoe where right shoe should be. Okay. Um, and they were facing toward the road. Okay. Um, so also found at this location was a sweatshirt uh, with the word Wilkins on it. And from what I can understand, this is a college based in Philadelphia. Was the sweatshirt hers? No. The family verified that this was not Tiffany's sweatshirt. Um, a car key ring that was yellow in color um, and paper. So like the kind you get from a dealership or an oil change or service where it's got your stuff. Um, like a, like your receipt kind of paper? No, like a... You said the tag and paper? No, it was a paper tag. Okay. So like the one that you'd put on your key ring to identify your car? Yes. Like okay. if you get an oil change or whatever, it usually has the VIN or the tag or something like that okay. written on it. Um, so report from an anonymous source states that this tag had a VIN number on it and it was linked to a vehicle um, that was at the graduation party that night. Did they investigate that? Not that I know of. And um, they also found a plastic decal, like, I don't know why I think, but like an iron-on letter, A. They found an the, A? An A in this as well. Um, so let's discuss this. It's 21 days later. And I we, mean, I feel like that should be investigated. <laughs> right. Um, I do too. Uh, it's been, and it may have been, but there's no official public reports that I can find yeah. anything, anything about this. I feel like if it has been investigated, then release it. If the case is closed, it's suicide. Release it to the public. Yeah. Let us see um, what it is. I'm concerned that the dog didn't go near the shoes, like, at all. So I go, the shoes were not there at the time of the track. Yeah. Because they would have her scent. Yeah, but I mean, how... F I don't know. What's... Cl I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But that's where I go. I'm like... Because if they were out there and did the water make a difference for that? Did it wash that scent? Potentially, but water also holds it. So, like, on an item, from what I can understand. So, I don't know. I don't know. I do not know. It boggles my mind. 
Like this point bothers me. Yeah. Um, but this is when, from what I can understand, that Diane was like, my daughter didn't commit suicide. Thumbs up. And Just based off of the shoes and the yeah, headband. Yeah, because they've been looking. They went to the track. Like, why? It's well over two miles away. Like, did she take her shoes off and walk? That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, know, you see what I'm saying? Especially because, I mean, you've been around train tracks. You see how rocky and nasty they are. See, I... Just trying to walk down a gravel uh, would tear your feet up, I, you know, would cause... And the dog didn't go that way at all. No. He started down Tim Road about 25 feet and then turned around. And it was found about 600 yards down the road. Huh? I don't know. It's, it's a point of mystery. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So there's something else in my research that I found um, in an article by the Daily Beast that I found concerning. Okay. Um, there was a 24-second phone call that was made to Tiffany's cell phone around 10.30 p.m. that was answered for 24 seconds. Who made the call? It was the friend with the credit card. So she called the phone. She called Tiffany. Or her phone called, I can't say she did it, but her phone called, called Tiffany's, Tiffany's phone. And it was answered. And it was answered for 24 seconds. Now, just to kind of give everybody an idea of what, how long that is, I am going to pause here for 24 seconds. Twenty-four seconds. So yeah, that's long enough to have a conversation, right? That's what I thought. Like twenty-four seconds doesn't seem that long. No, but when you pause, it's like yeah, totally long enough to mm -hmm. have a conversation. So I was listening to this podcast, and they hypothesized that a blade of grass answered the call. <laughs> okay. Uh huh. So. This bothered me because it bothered me as if, is that possible? So this past weekend. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and I'm not crazy. <laughs> All right. I want to preference this with, I'm not crazy, but you threw out a hypothesis. And what do you have to do to prove a hypothesis? You have to test it. You have to test it. So that's what I did. So, you know, I have both an Android phone and an iPhone. Yeah. And I'm not a drug dealer. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah. Um, so I went outside and spent a good two hours. No, you did not. Yes, I did. Don't judge me. Trying to get the grass to answer either one of the phones. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Under any circumstances. No. So, no, no, no. You have no idea. So the grass was dry. Like it was dry grass. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, maybe there was some moisture on the grass, like dew or something, because it was nighttime. 
So I go get some water, my water bottle, and I spray the grass. This case is taking you to a dark place. <laughs> yes, it has, but it is what it is. So I spray the grass, still try to, still calling it, still calling both of the phones, like I'd alternate. It didn't answer. No. So I was like, well, this is summer, so these screens are activated by heat. So I go get the hair dryer. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm blow drying the grass to heat it up to see if it'll answer the phone. Now, unless there's just a special type of grass, I can definitively say that nothing that I tried in the two and a half hours I was doing this answered the phone. So I'm going to say that that hypothesis is null. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think that's a safe bet. Yeah, so. Um, wow. I promise I'm not crazy. <laughs> I promise I'm not crazy, but you have to test the hypothesis. That's what good like investigators do or people who live by the scientific method. <laughs> so I, I just could not, I could not, I could not, could not get it to work. So it, I don't know how the phone got answered. Like she somebody answered, answered either she answered it or someone else answered it. Somebody had to have answered the phone unless it was just a weird glitch in the phone records. That's what more time was it? Um, I have that it was approximately 1030, 10:39, somewhere in between that time frame. Yeah. So somebody answered. Somebody that that's my that's my feeling. Yeah. Um all right. So at this point, I'm going to go forward um, to the, I'm sorry, I, my neighbors had to think I was nuts. Oh, I would have. I would have been out there watching. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'd have been like, what is she doing? She's going around the bend. And she's putting that phone down and picking up the other phone. What does that <laughs> what mean? Is, just, I'm, I, I dedicated to trying to figure this out. Or, yeah. So New Jersey officer uh, Packer supplemental investigation report on July 13th. He reports that the engineer and apprentice states that hold on. I'm, I'm looking for my paperwork. I had it. I just don't know where I put it. Ha -ha. <laughs> it's hiding. Yeah, y'all aren't here, but when I tell you there are notes here, there are notes, there are... There's paperwork. Paperwork. <laughs> There's... Uh, like, actual reports from this. Like, not stuff that she's typed up herself. Like, legitimate state of New Jersey reports sitting on this test that she's going through. Yes, I did a deep dive. I said this. <laughs> um, so, let's see. So, basically, what they report is that it took... Um, so from the black box, okay, it took 4.1 seconds for the apprentice engineer, student engineer, their reference, it's one and the same, but it's referenced by both names in different okay. reports, um, to blow the horn, strike Tiffany, and put the train into emergency brake application. So in the initial report, it was stated that they rang the bell as well. Okay. But that did not happen. That was not recorded by the black box. I didn't know trains had a bell. Apparently they do. I didn't know either. But we don't have commuter trains here. 
we just have cargo trains. Like, we don't uh, have transit trains, like, just cargo trains. Okay. So, maybe they're equipped differently. Yeah, probably. Um, but 4.1 seconds okay. to see her, blow the horn, hit her, and put it into emergency brake application. So... Wouldn't it have been if you see someone on the tracks to hit the brakes? Like, wouldn't that be the first thing you did? I don't know what the standards are. I, I mean, don't it know just what seems their like policy is. If I saw, like, that's what you do in a car. Like, if I see someone in the road, I'm going to brake. I'm going to honk my horn as well, but I'm going to brake. Yes. Because I don't want to hit them. Yeah. Uh, but you, trains do not stop on a dime. Yeah, but I would try. <laughs> yes. But we're going to get into the statements as well. So, because it sounds like at first he didn't realize what he was seeing. Okay. So, that's fair. It's dark. It's dark, um, but 4.1 seconds. So here I am with my handy dandy stopwatch again. Um, so it was said, it's been reported that she was actually struck about two seconds in. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna, we're gonna, four second pause. Okay. Okay. Four seconds. That quick. Yeah. So if she was hit at the two second mark, one, two. Yeah. Yeah. So I he don't. He was on her. He was on her by the time he saw her. Yeah. Um. So on July eighteenth, twenty Um, both the engineer and the apprentice engineer, um, was questioned by detectives and put under oath. Okay. And the student apprentice engineer, no, I'm sorry. The engineer was put under oath, not the student engineer, not yet. And then he reported to the people, the detectives that were questioning him that he didn't see anything. The engineer himself. The engineer himself. The okay. one that was supposed to be supervising the apprentice engineer. And the reason is he had his back turned talking to the conductor about the rescue that okay. they were on the way to conduct. Okay. So the initial report that was put out on the night that it happened that I went over in the first episode mm -hmm. was not accurate because they both stated that they both saw her dive in front of the train. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So when he's put under the oath, he admits that he didn't see anything. So, um. And this was how long after? This was on the 18th. So, 18. Let's see. Six days? Six days. Six days. Now, the student engineer um, wasn't put on under oath until July 22nd. So, about 10 days afterwards and I actually have his statement here and I am going to review that with you guys so find where his starts and the other one ends okay Okay, this is actually the um, engineer statement, so I'm gonna go over that first, okay? Okay. So, detective asked, did you observe the person on the track as you approached the train? 
engineer stated no. Detective asked, why was the reason that you didn't see the person? The engineer stated, at the time, at the same time that this was going on, we were about to come up to another train and meet that had broken down and we were going to have to rescue their people off that train. So we had just gotten in contact with that crew on that train to do the rescue. As soon as we figured out exactly what we were doing, I was having a job briefing with my conductor. He was right behind me in the bar. He was standing just outside of where the passenger area was. So he wasn't directly in the cab, asked by the detective. Engineer, no. Detective, he was outside of the cab. Engineer, yes, he was just outside the cab, so I was talking to him. I had turned around to tell him, like, this is how we're going to set everything up. And at the same time that was going on, I heard my student engineer blow the horn, put the train into emergency, and say it was, you know, a girl had jumped out in front of us. And we just went from there. So at the time of the impact, I didn't see anything because I was turning around to say something to the conductor. Detective, so the student was at the controls. Engineer, that's correct. And then it goes back and forth confirming that, and I'm not going to read all that because, yeah. you know. <laughs> okay. So now we're going to go over the student engineer statement. Now, this one's a little bit more convoluted, and I'll go into a little bit more detail because this is the sole eyewitness yeah. to what happened. So, this, what, this occurred on July 22nd, 2015, 10 days after the event, okay? And the student engineer had reported for work at 10 p, at 3.10 p.m., and this was his second round trip from Philadelphia to Atlantic City. Okay. Okay. Um, student engineer. Passing Cologne Avenue crossing, it was limited visibility. It was nighttime, approximately 11 p.m., and we, I remember passing milepost 44, and I ended up seeing something off on the east, on the east side in the distance. Detective, now, when you say east, would that, you're facing south, so it would be on your right or left. Student engineer, left. Detective, okay. Student engineer, yeah, excuse me. So it would be, it would be on my left. All right. So I noticed something, something off in the distance. And initially, you know, I, at that distance, it was approximately maybe half a mile to a quarter mile away. It was pretty far. I couldn't discern what it was specifically. So as engineers, we're trained to spot for movement, anything out of the ordinary. So I, we had, I had all of my lights on. I had my headlights on bright, my auxiliary lights on, on bright as well, and on manual. And I blew my horn just so, you know, to see if that thing would move or whatever it was. As I came closer, approximately a quarter mile away or a little closer than that, it was definitely closer than that. Um, I noticed that it was in fact a human being in a crouched position in dark clothing. I get a, so I blow my horn initially. I'm traveling pretty fast. I was traveling approximately 80 miles per hour. That's the maximum authorized speed. And as I'm getting closer, the individual in the black clothing stands up and I immediately recognize that it's a female. I keep blowing my horn. As I'm approaching closer, the individual stands up, faces towards the gauge of the track and I don't know what the gauge of the track is or towards the track. Okay. 
and as I'm approaching closer, probably within five seconds of passing her, she jumps. She dives in front of the train to the lower portion of, of the cab car. I was operating from the cab car, and I noticed I'm still blowing my horn. I shout immediately because, you know, it was a first experience for me, and we hit her. I see matter go everywhere. And then I place the train immediately into emergency brake application. Detective, okay, now, when you say you come through the Cologne Avenue crossing, you see something. You're traveling at 80 miles an hour. So can you explain it's a matter of seconds between the time you see it, it, this isn't a long, prolonged time, correct? Student engineer, no, it's not, it's very quick. Yeah, the reaction time, it's very minimal. Detective, go ahead. Okay, couple things. Mm-hmm. I Googled gauge. Okay. Of the track, and that's the distance between the two rails. So she's turning to the... So he made it out like she was on the track, correct? Yeah, correct. And he said she stood up and she looked at the gauge. So that's the other side of the track. Yeah. Right. And then, then he's saying she dove. That don't make sense because if she dove, she would be diving off. Okay, so if she dove, she would be diving off the other side, like, therefore, out of the tracks, off of the tracks. Right. So that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense Another to me thing I find interesting is he even says he sees something. Is it not procedure or something to start slowing down? Like, I'm not stopping. I understand it's a train. It's got time. But if 80 is the max, if you saw something... I don't know. It's my, my personality. If I'm the student, you're the engineer. We're riding. I think I see something. I'm immediately going to be like, hey, hey, see, do you see what I see? Right. Like, do you see this up there? And right. then I'm going to defer to you as to how, what, what do we normally do? Right. You know, do we slow? Do we need to do that? You know? Right. Now I'm with you 100%. I think that, and this is probably why I could never be like a train anything if I saw anything I'd be like <laughs> like we'd never get where we're going <laughs> I understand not throwing on emergency stop but I feel like there's you could dial it back you could wait even you, if it's just for a few minutes just to make sure it's nothing that it's not a human right like and the fact is he says he saw it yeah, he saw something on the track. But then even his timeline's not making sense because he said he blew the horn a couple times, and that's not what the black box says. No. So He blew the horn once. Now, I do think that this was a very traumatic experience for this 100%, man. 100%, yeah. And but it's I, been 10 days, so... I think that's why this is probably the most accurate account out of the other statements because he gave two other statements Yeah. Um, that were not under oath. And I went over the first one, the very first one. Yeah. I left the second one out because it it just didn't make any kind of... It was trauma. Yeah. You could tell very much like it oh, was trauma. I can only trauma. imagine. Yeah. But just so far, that just doesn't... If what he says, if she looked at the gauge of the track, mm -hmm. he said she was on it, and then she looked at the gauge, that means I'm assuming sitting, stand up, I look at the other side, whether that's... He said he saw her on the east, so I'm, I'm thinking she's facing straight ahead, like... Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, for her to dive in front would be diving out of the way. Right. But that's not consistent with her hit because... No, because she was hit on the left. Like the left, no, yes, left lower portion of the... Of her body? Of the train. 
Because it would be her right. Did, did he say what he was on his? What, what did his statement say? He said say? it was on his left. Left. So she would be trying to dive to the right. Right. But the train impacted at the left. I just don't think she had time to move. Right. But it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. That do, Like to say she dove in front doesn't make sense. But go ahead. Yeah. Um. Okay, so the detective asked him that area, do you know what type of area? It's rural, is it rural, is it urban? Can you describe, student engineer? Around milepost 44, 45, it's to both east and west side, it, it, it's a heavy tree line, you know, you can't see past the trees. As far as I know, there's no fence line, so people can easily access the track, you know, it's obvious that this individual was trespassing in my opinion. Keep going. Detective. Now you had you had said that there was there was somebody else with you, correct? Student engineer. Yes. Detective. In the in the in the now this was in the cab car, you weren't in the engine, correct? Yes, sir. Cab car. Detective. Okay. There was somebody with you, correct, at the time? Yes. A student engineer. We as a student engineer, we have an instructor engineer there with us, pretty much overseeing our actions to make sure that we were operating the train according to New Jersey Transit standards and FRA standards. Okay. So he was there, you know, for just pretty much making sure, you know, I was operating the train safely. Detective, okay, do you recall his name? Yes, his name is Redacted. And that would be the actual engineer. That would be the actual engineer. So, ignoring the previous statement that the person was in a crouched position when he first observed her from a distance of a half a mile away, detective asked, where exactly was the person standing when you first saw the person? The student engineer says, probably, I want to say, maybe 15 to 20 feet to the left of the track. Okay, so she's not on it. Uh he states that she is wearing very light black clothing. Which could be her shirt. And her panties. Because her, her shorts were like white. Almost white. Yeah. Black shorts and a black shirt. But cannot remember if she was wearing shoes. But here's the thing. There is no 15 to 20 feet tree line. It's at most 6 feet. And that's and I know that because I have some sources that live in that area who went out and actually measured it. Oh wow! So it's at most six to eight feet. Okay. So, detective, what direction was the person facing? The person and the train. What direction were they facing when you impacted? Student engineer. Where were they facing? Detective. Yes. Detective, you were traveling southbound. Student engineer, yeah. Detective, was the person perpendicular to the tracks? Student engineer, perpendicular. Detective, did the person turn towards you? Were they, student engineer, she, uh, the individual, she was in a crouch position facing away. And then as I was approaching, she turned perpendicular toward the track and then dove right in front. Detective, so basically what side of her was towards the train? Was it her right side? Was it her left side? Student engineer, oh, it, it was her right side. 
detective right side. It appears she was looking student engineer. She was detective east question mark. Yeah. Detective, did she look at the train at any time? Did you make eye contact with her? No, I didn't make eye contact with her. Detective, did you notice if she was wearing glasses, headphones, or carrying anything? Student engineer, no. Detective, no. Did you observe anyone else in the area other than the person prior to the impact? Student engineer, no. Detective, did you notice if the person made any attempts to move from the approaching train? Student engineer, no. At the end of the interview... So is she on the tracks or not on the tracks? Right. We don't know. Because that's our only eyewitness. Yeah, but that's not clear. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and this because initially he said she was. Uh, yeah. And then he said that she was off the side, yep. crouched, I guess, looking at the tree line. That's the way it sounds. And then turned perpendicular. Right. And then as they and got closer. 15 to 20 feet. Leapt in front of the train. Right. Up and I will say that this is so this railroad track was built up a little bit. Yeah. So it wasn't like flat to the ground like you see when it runs into pavement. It was yeah. built up twenty to twenty four inches. So she would not only have to be like flat, but scale this two foot stone it doesn't make barefooted. Because she don't have shoes. That doesn't make sense. Right. It doesn't. So, I, I, so, none of it's clear. No. None of the statements are clear. Um, so, what I'm going to do now is I have a report, or I should say a partial report from Louise Hausman, and she was a retired medical examine, uh, examiner. Um, that reached out to the family attorney um, wanting to review the case because she um, did not think that this was in fact a suicide. Okay. Um, so I'm going to read um, this last part of this report and go from there. So Ms. Hausman says, considering apprentice engineer statement together with the engineer statement it's much more likely tiffany was always in a sedentary crouched position directly next to or on the left rail and railroad tie when she was struck it's likely her six foot two frame gave the appearance of having jumped as it was being partially hurled into the air when struck dragged and dismembered mm. The photographs taken by investigators the night of the event suggest Tiffany was struck by the lower left portion of the train cab. There is no indication her body reached the center of the tracks prior to being struck. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Only the left half of the bumper of the train shows evidence of the initial impact. Human matter is observed only on the left front of the cab with splatter on the upper left side of the cab. So, the left side of the train. Yeah, that's not consistent with jumping in front of a train. No, it, but it is consistent with... With sitting. Right. Or being crouched on that corner piece. Right. Material suggestive of brain tissue is, is observed on the inside of the left track. Especially interesting is a large dark stain area on the outside rail tie suggestive of a large amount of blood having been absorbed by that one tie. 
possibly due to an anti-mortem trauma. So anti-mortem means before death. But it was never tested. There's also tissue on the outside of the left rail at the initial point of impact. There was never a reconstruction undertaken to determine if it was possible for someone to have pushed Tiffany onto the tracks considering the feature of the rail bed in this location. Even at six foot two tall, it seems Tiffany would have had to scale the stone grade and then hurl herself in front of the train, which most likely would have taken longer than 2.5 seconds from a crouching position. And even more unbelievable, if she was standing a distance of 15 to 20 feet from the railroad track, scaling stone was never among the various accounts described by the student engineer. Additionally, there was never a reconstruction or an analysis commenced to determine if the pattern of Tiffany's injuries would be consistent with her having been in a sedentary crouched position beside the rail or from an outstretched, moving, running, jumping, diving position when struck. It should also be noted that there is a gravel roadbed running parallel with the train tracks in this location that can, be, that can accommodate a full-size vehicle. Tiffany's body could have been dumped beside the tracks. Unfortunately, any evidence of a motor vehicle having traveled the service road prior to impact may have been compromised by emergency response vehicles if they chose to access this remote location using that very roadway. A first responder vehicle is pictured beside the track in at least one of the scene photos. Additionally, there is a clear vacant lot with tall grass and several cinder block storage buildings that border the railroad tracks in the location where Tiffany was struck. This is of a flea market. Okay. Okay. So this flea market, um, that back lot from what I've been told by my anonymous sources is often used by adolescents and young adults to party. Okay. Just throwing that out there. And it, it runs parallel with the train tracks at the tree line. Okay. And fronts the major four-lane state highway of Route 30. This vacant lot could have been transversed on foot or in a vehicle. The access gate to this uninhabited property was reportedly found open the night of Tiffany's death. It is also believed that first responders used this vacant lot on the night of Tiffany's death. It is not known if this vacant lot was ever searched for evidence that may have contradicted the medical examiner's conclusion of suicide. Well, I mean, her synopsis counteracts the medical examiner's. Oh, yeah, for suit. sure. Because everything she says paints a completely different picture than the first one. Yeah, I know. I don't know which one's more accurate. I think this, I think Miss Hausman did a more thorough job of explaining things. Well, I mean, the fact that it's all on the left-hand side, that society said she was coming from, the pool of blood, I'm just so surprised nobody tested that. Swabbed it, took a sample, yeah. something. Was it hers? Was it? So here's the thing. We don't even know if it's related. So that's what drives me crazy. Was an animal struck on the track prior? And this is the dried blood from an animal. Highly unlikely, right? <laughs> it's so highly like, unlikely, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. I mean, I think it's her. I think she was bleeding. I think she was bleeding prior to getting hit from the train. But, you know, it, we're going to do, in my opinions, in just a few minutes. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, so, all right. Goodness gracious. Let's get, get back to my notes. All right. So here's another interesting thing that happened in this case. So around seven months after Tiffany's demise, a manager at a local Wawa, remember Tiffany had worked at a Wawa. Yeah. Now, I don't know if this was the Wawa that she worked at, mm -hmm. but I don't think it matters. Um, came forward to authorities reporting that he had overheard three male employees discussing Tiffany's death. The three male employees were heard saying things like Tiffany's death wasn't a suicide, that the friend was really mad about the credit card, so three of her friends picked Tiffany up and held her at gunpoint and made her strip down to humiliate her. I can believe that. Right. It's not out of the realm of possibility. No, girls are mean. Girls are really mean. So, yeah. Yeah. So these males were questioned uh, by investigators. I would also like to say that two of these males were at the graduation party. So the males that made the claims? Were questioned. The, okay, but they didn't name who the other juveniles were? That No, not that I'm aware of. I say juveniles, but they're 18, apparently. We think. Not true. Go ahead. Um, and they all denied any knowledge um, of saying those or saying these things. They never said these things. They denied any knowledge. One of them in the CCTV footage that's on the documentary um, was very dramatic in his response. Um, the investigator asked him if he had heard any rumors about Tiffany's death not being a suicide, and he responded with, that's absolutely absurd. Mm, thou dost protest too much. That's immediately where I went. I'm like, that's your weak link. Mm. Like, keep poking that one. Keep poking that one because that one will break. It's too extra. Mm. I'm sorry. It's just too extra. He was very like, that is absolutely absurd. And where was this? What, what was this on? Um, this was actually on the Unsolved Mysteries. Okay, it, so it shows them mm -hmm. following up on that. Yeah. So, like I said, I, I feel like that one should be questioned a little bit more. Um, but according to the prosecutor's office, it wasn't enough to go to a grand jury with. So. I mean, I want to know, why, where is that documentation where you interviewed these other people? Right. Because that should be, right? That should be in the final report if they if they actually did do an investigation, which it sounds like they did a little bit of one because why else would they have taken the dog out? Right. Unless they're trying to fully say, yes, it is a suicide. So I think the word is confirmation bias is what everybody kind of thinks happened with this. Like, I don't know, though. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm gonna give you some more background information. So, I heard this on multiple podcasts and read in news reports that one of Tiffany's teachers saw a bruise on her arm that after speaking to Tiffany, she was concerned. So she called in a report to Child Protection Services. Okay. And this was in 2014. Now, um, I've heard this report in many different ways, um, but, from what I can gather, it was just one report, um, and I'm not sure of the time of the year, so I don't know 
Wena was. But I would like to take a second to kind of put some knowledge out there to um, how CPS typically works. And this is um, based on my knowledge of South Carolina. But yeah, it I'm, could be different. It could be different, but I feel like the general framework's probably the same. So, um, so once a report is called into Child Protective Services Agency and the report is taken, if it rises to the level of investigation, it is assigned to an investigative caseworker who reports out to the home and starts the investigation. These investigations usually last for about 45 to 90 days and consist of multiple visits, contacts with the school and any other entity that the family and child is involved with. Um, from there, the CPS worker will recommend services and make a determination at the end of the designated time frame if there is a sub substantial risk of abuse or neglect. If there is, it moves on to the court proceedings. If not, the case kind of closes. So that's just the absolute basics. And the reason I wanted to explain this is because a lot of the podcasts I listen to, they're like, CPS was out of the house three times, three times, but it was three visits about the same incident. Yeah, I just did a quick search for New Jersey um, CPS investigation. They call it uh, something else. It's not CPS, but it's 60 days for them. 60 days. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah. I, I, I just want to kind of clear that up. So just because the investigative worker went out three times doesn't yeah, mean doesn't there's mean three anything. different reports, right? Um, so during the CPS investigation, Diane admitted to punching Tiffany in the arm during an argument. Okay. Yeah, she did. She absolutely admitted it. Um, and they were referred to a therapist for an assessment. Okay. And the therapist reported that Diane and Tiffany seemed to share a very strong family bond. Um, Diane reported that she had been dealing with some issues caused by menopause and that she lost her temper during this argument. Is So it was an indicated case against the family? I don't think it was indicated. I think it was closed because it was only for like that 60 to 90 day period. Okay. Um, but I don't know that for sure. Diane did agree to undergo therapy if it was recommended. Um, the provider noted no concerns for depression or anxiety for Tiffany or Diane. Okay. So also at some point in 2014, Tiffany lost a grandparent. This is according to multiple podcasts. And she seemed to struggle with this and she may have used marijuana. But I just want to reiterate that her toxicology report was completely clean. Yeah. And, you know, marijuana stays in your system for a little bit. Yeah. So she probably hadn't used within, what, two weeks to 30 days prior to dying, something like that. Even less. I think it can clear out even quicker. It just depends. Just depends. So. On, you know, there's lots of variables to that. Yes. <laughs> So um, another thing I want to point out is that Tiffany did take some money from her parents around Christmas time in 2014 also. Before or after the CPS involvement? I don't know. Okay. I yeah. don't know if that was the argument that led to the bruise that led to CPS. I have no idea. It could have been. Um, it doesn't. 
ever say how much money it was. It doesn't say what it was for. Yeah. It just said that this occurred. Okay. Um, so on March 5th, 2018, the family's attorney received a letter from Dr. Andrew Falzon, which I am, which is the state medical examiner. And I'm going to review that with you guys. Dear Mr. D'Amato, following my letter dated October the 2nd, 2017, I write to inform you that I have completed my review of the manner of death determination for Tiffany Valiente. It is my opinion that the case and manner of death listed on Mrs. Valiente's death certificate be unchanged. My review included documents created as part of the original investigation into Mrs. Valente's death, including the report of investigation of the medical examiner, toxicology report, and case-related photographs. I also considered information that was not available at the time of the death invest investigation, including Louise Hausman's July 11, 2015 report witness interviews, a report from the Atlantic County Prosecutor's Office, a transcript, a transcript of Tiffany's friend, August 17th, 2017 disposition, not disposition, deposition, because I can speak, mm -hmm. and Miss Valente's relationship with friends, family, and significant others. My examination supports it investigation's original conclusion that the manner of death be deemed a suicide. Therefore, I have determined that the, case, the cause and manner of death remain as listed on the death certificate as multiple traumatic injuries and suicide respectively. As the state medical examiner and a parent, please extend my condolences to the Valente family for their tragic loss. And that was from who? That was from Dr. Andrew Falzon, who was the acting state medical examiner for New Jersey. So did the family petitioned to have it changed? Yes. And this person looked into it and said no? And said no. Okay. And that was in 2018. So one other thing I want to kind of go over was that the family was able to go through DNA testing, okay, in 2021. Um, they had to go to court and sue for the evidence to be released, um, which a judge finally granted in 2021. They had to pay out of pocket, which is not cheap. I'm sure. Um, and so I'm going to review that DNA findings with you guys as well. Okay. Okay. So this is dated December the 10th, 2021 from DNA Diagnostic Center. And it says, Dear Mr. D'Amato, who's the family attorney. Okay. The purpose of this letter is to inform you of the condition of the evidence from Tiffany Valiente's case submitted to DDC Forensics for serological and DNA analysis. During our examination, we noted some issues with the packaging and preservation of the evidence. A number of the items were sealed with tape, but the initials of the individual who assessed the evidence and the date this occurred were absent from the seals. So, it's trash. I mean, from a just prosecutorial standpoint, like the chain of custody is, yeah. I know with anything DNA, you have to put your initials on. Right. 
In addition, we could see that the tape had been placed over tape that had been previously placed on the packages. Yep, that's done. <laughs> yep, that's done. If it wasn't done, it is now, making it difficult to observe the initials and date on the previous seals. The blood card from Tiffany Valiente did not have initials and the date from the collector or the individual who packaged the blood card. It is industry standard in forensics to maintain the chain of custody for the evidence by opening the packaging in a new location each time and documenting who opened the evidence and when by labeling the seals with initials and the date. During the extraction and quantification of DNA from the blood card of Tiffany Valiente, male DNA was detected. A second extra extraction and qualification of DNA from the blood card of Tiffany Valiente was performed again and again male DNA was detected. YSTR analysis was performed on the first extracted sample from the blood card and a partial mixed YSTR DNA profiles was amplified from the blood card using STR analysis. We felt it necessary due to the male contamination and lack of initials and date on the seal to further compare the DNA samples from Tiffany Valiente's mother and father to verify the DNA from the blood card was in fact from Tiffany Valiente. What does that mean that male DNA, I mean could that have been the person collecting it? Could have been anything, we have no idea. Okay. Her blood card was so mixed up and so contaminated that... They had to do paternity to verify. Exactly. So if that tells you anything about evidence preservation. Yeah. One package of evidence containing a stained white towel, and I didn't bring the towel up. The towel was found when they searched the wood after finding, woods after finding her shoes. They found this bloody white towel okay. after they did a search of the woods, but we don't know if it's related or not. Like. There was no DNA being able to, they couldn't match. Oh, hold on, I'm getting that. Okay was placed in a paper bag that was not properly sealed, initialed, or dated. It is important that evidence is completely sealed so trace evidence such as hairs can't fall out and to prevent contamination or access to the evidence. So no, they could not test that. Why couldn't you at least test it to see if the blood was her blood? I don't know. Like that doesn't make sense. I understand for like a prosecution type of situation, whatever you found on it could be pointless. Right. But just to verify it was her blood. Right, I have no idea. One critical piece of evidence in this case, which was a t-shirt worn by Tiffany Valente was covered in mold. The t-shirt had been placed in a plastic bag and knotted clothes. When storing evidence that may contain DNA, it is important to make sure the evidence is dry before packaging it and it should remain dry at room temperature. Evidence should be stored in paper bags or envelopes and should never be placed in plastic bags because they retain moisture and provide a growth medium for bacteria and mold that will degrade DNA evidence. The testing our lab performed on the t-shirt had no probative value and this could be due to the condition of the evidence. Evidence must be identified, collected, packaged, secured, and maintained correctly, following a strict chain of custody so that it can be analyzed appropriately. It is essential that the integrity of the evidence is protected in order to make it admissible in the court of law. So, go ahead first. No, that's it, that's all. That's all on that report. As a parent. Oh, I, I would be livid. I feel like it, this, that in and of itself is enough 
to have some kind of lawsuit. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, I don't know what their legal, like, I don't know what their legal I mean, that's all of that is. is a mishandling. Oh, I agree. But the case was closed. They didn't have to preserve evidence. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just saying that could be a potential argument. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, I know this makes me angry. Absolutely. Just as somebody who, I mean, they lost the axe. They lost the keychain, the actual paper keychain. They lost it. Like, they have pictures of it, but they can't test it to see if Tiffany's DNA was on it. If, well, is this male DNA on that to match the DNA that's on Tiffany? Like, we don't know. Yeah. And that's, that's my issue in this case. We don't know. So I'm going to go over some stats. And then, believe it or not, I'm done. <laughs> so, um, according to the U.S. Department of Transport, there are about 40,000 40, 40, <laughs> suicides per year in the U.S., and less than 1% of them occur within the rail system. According to research conducted by the U.S. DOT Volope Center, suicide by train incidents involve men more than women. These typically occur at pedestrian grade crossings. Yeah, I did read that too. So, an actual crossing. Yeah. Um, and take place during clear weather with moderate temperatures between 60 to 74. And these people are typically under the age of 45 and they peak in the spring and typically occur between the hours of 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. And I got that directly from DOT Volp website. So I had read earlier and I was trying to find out what their procedures were, um, like if as an engineer, mm -hmm. um, that a lot of times too, it's, there's usually some kind of like under the influence of something. They're like, trying to cross or people walking the trains just walking the track right not even realizing it right and then they can't move out of the way okay so now it's time for in my opinion segment <laughs> scully i have talked enough so i'm turning it over to you until i until it's my turn okay so initially when you start I can see where they got suicide. Yeah. When you first give the first report, all of that. It's just all these other little pieces that don't add up. Right. So the no shoes. Right. Where are her shorts? Um, the headband and the shoes being found one area and then she's at a completely other area. Two to three miles away. Yeah. The second medical examiner's report where everything's on the left-hand side of the train, which coincides with what the student engineer is talking about where she was. Mm -hmm. um, his account, pick one. They're, <laughs> right. They're all very, yeah, a little bit here and there. Well, I think it's very much of a trauma. Oh, my God, this happened. True. I don't know what happened. I don't really think he knows. I think that he can only say what he thinks is going to answer their questions and get them off of him at the time. Yeah. And then this pool of blood. Yeah. That was never tested. All of that. You, you can't see, but she's rolling her eyes so hard. <laughs> yeah. All of that just frustrates me because, and then I think as, as a parent, you know, this thing has happened to my child. I'm trying to figure it out because it, 
there has to be something that we don't know about her personality that made the family at first accept it maybe as a suicide because that right. you said that so there must have been something going on that they had picked up that we can't from being outsiders right but i think of as a parent if i thought initially and then i found you know my child's shoes and i know okay that one she left it dark and i know she wouldn't do that right but i know if if she felt a certain type of way, she might have. If she felt like, she was mad I don't want to do this again. Like, we're going to fight. Like, I'm just not. And she's frustrated and take off. But if as a parent, let me get this thought out. I went through all of this stuff. I petitioned to try to get the stuff changed over and then fought to get the DNA only to find out that the DNA had been preserved improperly. So, therefore, I can't get anything from it. Right. Would just be... Devastating, infuriating. It'd be like losing again, like losing her again. Right. So I can only imagine. Right. But no, I do not believe that Tiffany committed suicide. Okay. I just think there's too much to point. Otherwise. Something nefarious happened. Right. And there might be additional documents that the, you know, state of New Jersey has that we don't have access to that might clarify it. So... This is where I stand. You want to know my, in my opinion? <laughs> so, in my opinion, I am 95% sure that this was homicide slash manslaughter. Okay? I will go 5% potentially suicide. I could, I would agree with that. Okay. And the reason it's only 5% is because if she did, run off in the middle of like the night. I know it's not the middle of the night, but you know what I'm saying. After dark, scared the dark, runs off to go blow steam or whatever. How do we get to I'm going to go jump in front of a train that's not even scheduled to be there? Yeah, you don't. I think that was absolute. It was either 100% impulse as the train is coming to her. Yeah. Or it just, it, none of this makes sense to me. The only other thing I could think is if she was in, I do believe she was injured prior yeah. to being placed or even herself. Maybe she got away and got to the track. Right. And she just thought maybe someone would see her. Maybe she was trying to get her energy back up. I mean, we don't know. Or she just passed out. Or she passed out. Right. I mean, if if there's a pool of blood under her, that's some significant blood loss. Right. Um, and it was kind of dried. So maybe... It's a situation where that happened and she was just trying to. So in my opinion, this is what happened. Okay. Okay. No offense to Mr. Luke, the bloodhound, but I do believe she got into a vehicle. I think that's the only way that it makes sense. From the parents being gone a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I think she got into a vehicle with some people that she knew. I don't think it was close besties, besties, friends, but people that she knew. Okay, most likely they've been at the party. Yeah, it might have been just somebody she saw at the party. Right. She got in this vehicle, and then something went down. I'm not sure. I don't know if the friend put these people up to it. I don't know if these people heard about it and were tired of Tiffany. Yeah. You know, I don't know. But I do feel like there was a physical altercation. Okay? Um... I do think that if there was a gun involved, which I don't know, but you know as well as I do, those small town rumors 
tend to have a nugget of truth in them. Yeah, have a little something. Have a little something. So let's say in that rumor, the only thing that a little something was correct is a gun was involved. Yeah. What if they accidentally shot her? Not knowing how to handle a gun. Yeah. Okay. They freak out. She's lost consciousness. She's bleeding. They put her on the track or put her near the track. Because I feel like if there was that, there would be some kind of evidence. Like whether, because I don't know that they could have picked her up and carried her, depending on how many there were. I mean, she's six two, two hundred pounds. Like, yeah, that's not going to be easy to pull. And then plus, if she's passed out or something, she's going to be super heavy. So right. I mean, I feel like she got away. Like maybe she like maybe she ran away. Like, you know, like when you first, I've never been shot. But when you first get hurt, like your endorphins kick in, you don't really feel maybe how bad it is. Gotcha. So she was able to get away because they panicked because it wasn't the intent to maybe do this harm to her. Oh, that makes much more sense. And she took off, but that's only as far as she, she got. got. was to the, because across the street, well, I say across the street, but across the way was a Wawa. Okay. So like through the trees on the other side of the tracks, there was a Wawa. Okay. And a road. So what if she was trying to make it to that road? That could very well have been what happened. And mm. it was just she too collapsed. much. She collapsed. And she was there. Maybe she came to before, like with the horn and the rumbling and stuff like that. But it just wasn't enough. She didn't have enough to be able to get away or out or whatever. Out of everything that student engineer said, the most comprehensive, what makes most sense was the crouching. Yeah on the left and then her standing yeah so to me i think I, i'm with you i think she was incapacitated maybe the rumblings the horns like brought her back yeah. to consciousness and she stood up right as the train hit her yeah i mean it that could have been <clears throat> enough to jumble her back awake to be like oh yeah like i've oh, got God. to get over here but she's lost too much blood. blood she's too she's she's not there's no way she could have been thinking other than I've got to get over here, but her body's not going to respond. I mean, right, because it just doesn't have enough. No. So that's my opinion. I think I um, if anything, involuntary or voluntary manslaughter. Yeah. You know. And I think it was probably in relation to this card and this money mm -hmm. and all, all this, this stuff. stuff. Yeah, I agree. Because what else would that 24 minute or 24 second? So you know what I think, right, as far as the cell phone goes? I think the cell phone was lost in the altercation, and they called it to find it, and then brought it back and dropped it off after she got away. See, I don't. I think they called to get her to meet up. Like, hey, go over here. Because 24 seconds is enough time, like, if I called you to be like, hey, oh, okay. we're going to meet up at such and such. Why don't you come over here? I want to talk about this. Like, I know you didn't do it or whatever, whatever, whatever I needed to say. So she would own, like, Tiffany had the phone on her the whole time and answered it for that one particular friend? I think so. I think it was put back there. Oh, I, I agree with you. That's something that we can agree on. I think it was, especially the timing of it, it wasn't found till 11 or after. Right. And she and, was hit at like 11 or 7, 11, 16. it had already happened then. I think it had already happened by the time they found it. And I think yeah. they came and dropped it back off. I also mm -hmm. think that the shoes had, were not there at the scent when the dog was released. 
I think that they were, after everything kind of calmed down, after that the funeral, they went and dropped them. I don't know why, though. See, I think the shoes were there. Well, they don't want to get caught yeah, but with her stuff. Burn it. Well, I think that's what happened to her shorts. Yeah, part of me thinks, like, I go, I've watched too much Go steal it, girl. So I go straight to there's some creeper out there that's got these, like, that. Yeah. Some weird something, but it could be, you know, I could be wrong, but that's, that's where my mind goes. But it could be that they burned it. But why would you burn those and keep, throw the shoes back out? Uh, that's, well, maybe the, maybe the shorts had stuff on it from a sexual assault. We don't know. True. But not the shoes, because the shoes were removed. They were slight on shoes. She could have lost them trying to run away. Yeah. And then I think it's July. Whose sweatshirt? Yeah, well, I think it almost sounds like somebody just dumped their trunk. Like, does that make sense? Like, yeah. everything that was in the back of that truck got dumped. See, I picture totally different. I picture, like, sitting there with someone, like, having some kind of conversation. But I feel like if that happened, then the dog for sure oh, would yeah. have hit on a scent. But... I go to that, like, was she there with someone? Is that where it took place? And she bolted? Well, if she did, she ran three miles through, like, woods to get there. No, so, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, I just think it was a dead drop. I think they dropped it. I think, like I said, somebody had these items in there. But why would you risk your stuff? Like, if you're, why would I put, you know? I'm almost 40. All right. I like to think I've gotten smarter with age. Okay. Um, 16, 17, 18, 19-year-olds, they panic. They do stu- They're not criminal masterminds. True. So I think it's absolutely possible that they had those shoes in their possession, and they went and dropped the shoes in the headband and accidentally <laughs> dropped their key no, cat chain. It could be a thing that they were just throwing some stuff out there and thought if it would be random enough that they probably weren't anticipating her mother being the one mm. that walked through that area. Right. And make it look like it's just a, like somebody threw some crap out on the side of the road as they drove by. Right. I didn't think about that. that That's what I'm be, saying. Yeah. Like these are not criminal masterminds. Trying to make it look like it's just random stuff. Right. Because didn't you say homeless were in that area? Homeless was uh, more in the area of the flea market and, and okay. that kind of thing. But there was a, from what I can understand, really near those railroad tracks. At that point, there was like an encampment, like near the okay. railroad tracks. But I feel like the homeless would have kept her shoes. Like, I, yeah, I could be wrong. And the sweatshirt and everything. Yeah, you know, those things are useful. Like, I don't think a homeless person attacked Tiffany Valente. I don't think that's what happened. No, no this is somebody she knew. I think it's somebody she knew. Yeah, this is somebody she knew. So, with all that being said, I am going to let you know where the case stands today. Okay. Justice Now has started a petition at change.org. This petition is to New Jersey Attorney General Matthew J. Plankin to reopen Tiffany's case. And as of 6.35 a.m. on Tuesday, February the 7th, 2023, 9,885 people have signed. The goal is 10,000 people. 
Um, so if you feel so inclined to say, say where it's at, <laughs> if you can find it and I'm going to actually link it on our Facebook page, um, share that. Um, it is, but you can find it at change.org. All you have to do is do a Google search for Tiffany Valente change.org and it pops right up and you can sign it and share it. If you feel so inclined to sign, please share it on your socials. Um, I also want to say that if you are struggling with thoughts of suicide, please call 988. This is the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline for the United States, and they can hook you up with some resources. One more thing, and then I promise we're going to be done. <laughs> I would like to thank our 18 subscribers. Yeah, woohoo! I am so thrilled. You will never know the geek thrill I get when we have a new audience member or when we have a new play. Mm -hmm. um, and I am just so, so, so very, very thankful. I will tell you, um, my friend who's listening, yes. shout out to eight. Um, <laughs> Hey, H. <laughs> she stated that um, after listening to Smash, 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 mm -hmm. she was for sure going to have to watch that documentary. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Check out Smash, Smash, Smash and the Netflix documentary. And actually, we could do a follow-up case about him because I found out some additional information, not about the actual criminal case, yeah. but like what he's doing now. So. I thought he would still be in jail. He is, but apparently you can run a YouTube channel from jail. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll definitely have to go down we'll, that rabbit we'll, hole. We'll go down that rabbit hole. But seriously, you guys, um, I've looked to see if the Valente family has a GoFundMe. I can't find it. So they are um, doing this all out of their own pocket. Um, the private investigators that are investigating this case and the DeMotta law for firm are doing this pro bono. I'm sure the Valente family would appreciate any support that you would be willing to give on that petition. Yeah. So please consider signing the petition. I've signed it um, just because I feel like there's just too many questions. You know, I always yeah. go, I said it before on the last episode, I'm going to say it again on this one, beyond a reasonable doubt. You know, that, yeah, there's too much. There's too much doubt in this yeah. one. All right, so I hope you enjoyed a very long coffee break, and we'll catch you next week. Like and subscribe, rate us on Spotify. Please share to your friends, and we love you guys. Yeah, check us out on TikTok, and as always, if there's something that you want us to watch or review, AC definitely, I wish I could see the notebook. <laughs> um, she'll definitely. I'll, I'll do the deep dive. She deep dives. She gets all the records. But if there's something, you know, lighthearted too, we'll do that as well. Absolutely. You can find us at on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter and Instagram, as well as hit us up on our email at coffeebreakingchill2024 at gmail.com. Bye, y'all. Bye.